Okay, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, I guess we probably don't ever have to worry about uh, naked protesters on the show. I guess never say never, right? But Well, since we're we're broadcasting from undisclosed locations still. Yeah, maybe we do it like a radio plug. Hey, what are you doing? Where are your clothes? <laughs> we used to just have to worry about fire alarms, right? But not anymore. Not really. <laughs> well, I mean, t- probably only naked person we have to worry about is my nephew who like a lot of (laughs) like a lot of children who are five months old just loves to go around with nothing on so it's that's (laughs) that's your diaper son (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, that'll be next he's definitely gonna lose that (laughs) at some point Anyway, Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. And this week, that will be Wellington Dufferin Guelph Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Nicola Mercer, who is going to help us mark the third anniversary of the start of the COVID-19 pandemic by talking about the current state of things what we can expect next and how you can continue to best protect yourself from the virus. That's going to be at the bottom half of the hour. And before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including news blackout, meta and alphabet. They don't like the federal government's new legislation about making them fund journalism. And they are taking steps to make Justin Trudeau et al. Rethink all that. So how serious should we take the threat? But first, uh, you may have heard about the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank over the weekend. Um, you know, what was really interesting about this, it took three days to find somebody who who could explain this in a way that, um, for those of us who are not versed in what I'm pretty sure is the voodoo arts of economics. Um, so it, here's... I've got this from Stephanie Rule, who is a business reporter on MSNBC and an anchor. Uh, essentially, Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, as you may have heard it referred to, a 16th largest bank in uh, U.S. history, widely favored by startups, especially in the tech sector. Thursday night, uh, clients started withdrawing funds, and they started withdrawing funds to the tune of $42 billion dollars which would make this one of the biggest bank runs in U.S. history. So why were they running this bank? Well, uh, that's where it kind of gets complicated. Uh, hmm. In the tech sector, there was a lot of investment over the pandemic, of course, because people were investing in technology as a way to like continue to do things, things like Zoom, for instance, uh, things like all the, the delivery apps, delivery services, Skip, uh, DoorDash, all of that. So there's a lot of money going into the tech sector um, in 2020, 2021, 2022. Now, if you're even just sort of like vaguely paying attention to the business pages, uh, the tech sector has been under a, going a contraction. In you know today, it was announced uh, 10,000 layoffs at Facebook. We'll get to in a minute. But since the SVB is the preferred bank for a lot of these tech companies, they had a lot of cash going in and out. Now you may not know. That banks do not just like sit on all the cash you deposit. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, they take that cash and turn it into investment. Wise banks um, make safe investments 
and make it easy to get cash when you know things seem to be uncertain or they don't lever- leverage themselves to the hilt, which is what happened in the 2008 financial crash, is that um, banks had put too much money out there on the mortgage-backed securities. And as real estate was collapsing, um, those <clears throat> banknotes weren't as worth as much as they used to. And something similar was happening here. Silicon Valley Bank had put all this money that they'd been getting in onto, you know, real estate and, and other kinds of investments like this. Interest rates, as you probably heard, have been going up in the last year, which makes uh these investments sort of return fewer and fewer dividends. So uh SVB says, hey, we're kind of over leveraged here because of all these investments we've made. So we're gonna be trying to raise some capital. A bunch of Silicon Valley peeps freaked out, started withdrawing their money, and that made more people freak out and try to withdraw their money. And that's how the 16th largest bank in the country collapses. Scotty, uh, you know, you, you, you're a capitalist, right? What do you think of all this? (laughs) (laughs) Let me put my top hat and monocle on for a second. Yeah, it's been a long time since the economics class, and uh, a lot's changed since then. But uh, the CEO is mm. is taking quite a bit of blame for this. He's been described by certain experts that I re- was reading in the articles as stupid and idiotic for just you know <laughs> he's he was saying last week, oh, we had we had this loss of one point eight billion. But it wasn't couched in this, like, don't panic or anything. And if, and then this is the problem when the run happens and panic hits is difficult to control. Yeah. And I was thinking about it, It's like, how say, for example, a company had a billion. I, I'm not even sure how you do that transaction. It's mm-hmm. like, I need my billion dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like it's a wonderful life. Right? <laughs> it's just like <laughs> money in a little envelope. It's like, I need my billion dollars. Like, I want to close to- my account. I want all $45 back. <laughs> Yeah, and is there somebody on the other end trying to talk them out of it, or it's just like I j- just give me my money? And of, of course, when that happens, then failure imminent because this company supposedly didn't have uh, a chief risk officer, so somebody yeah. that would keep tabs on these things and say, "Oh, you know what? If this happens, then this might happen." That you need that person didn't have it. Ninety percent of the deposits were uninsured. Oops, and uh, there was no, and this was good too because they. CEO was also one of the ones that was lobbying. His name's Greg Becker mm-hmm. against the banking regulations that were brought in in 2008 to prevent this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And guess who repealed a lot of what when what came out of that was Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's like you there's a certain I think it was 50 billion dollars was the line where it's like okay you need risk officer you need to deeply analyze what's going on with your business. And they wanted it. I think they got it bumped up to 250 billion or there's, there's certain there's it's incremental as to how it changes. Yeah. Yeah. How much of now you would say a bank with even, okay, a small bank with a billion dollars, you would probably want to stay on top of that. But if people are withdrawing 42 billion and the money is, isn't there, it's out there, then you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no which in the cascade of a bit was too was that another so I guess the second and third largest collapses happened right because another uh, what were they called again Signature Bank Signature Bank yeah said they're wrapping it up right on the weekend they're like now nah, we're done they were fairly heavily invested in crypto mm-hmm. 
So there was a crypto bank that they backed. I think they were called Silvergate. Is that right? Mm-hmm. They failed due to problems in crypto, which that caused a separate chain reaction, but similar in that it's like, okay, this this is done. And there have been problems with crypto for a while. Mm-hmm. As we know from the the crypto, and there, I think there's some blame like being passed on to the crypto bros here. I don't know if they're completely <laughs> to blame, but I think they they probably are to some degree because crypto's BS, in my opinion, as an economic as, as an economic expert, as an economic expert and capitalist, <laughs> not uh, if it smells bogus, mm, probably. Is. Well, I think the thing with crypto, not to get too far off the mark here, the, the thing with crypto is like everybody was hopping on because everyone thought it was the new dot com. And uh, nobody wanted to get left behind. So that's why you write Matt Damon a check to talk about, you know, fortune favors the bold and buy crypto. And then it turns out fortune favors uh, the people who didn't put their money in crypto. Um, the, like <laughs> yeah, that's maybe right. <laughs> uh, we're not there yet. Um, if somebody could ever explain to me crypto in 30 seconds or less, then I'll invest. But uh, the. This, you, you point out the right things, which are number one is they didn't have a risk uh, analyst uh, for eight months. They hired them in January 2023. So great time, like right on the cusp of this thing falling apart to bring it, finally bring on your risk analysis. But you're right. That, that thing was in the Dodd-Frank legislation. The other thing that was in the Dodd-Frank legislation was like the means test, the stress test. And one of the stress tests was what happens to your assets if there's like a, a sudden increase in interest rates? So, you know, if they had been forced to do those stress tests, they would have discovered after the first couple of interest rate increases, and these, these things are like quarterly, and they've been, they went up for like four straight quarters last year. Um, they would have discovered, uh oh, we're kind of leveraged to the hilt. Because a part of the problem is, part of the reason for the run is, um, these are, again, because we're talking about the tech sector, these are all very online people who all know each other, who all talk each other, and it got around so fast. That people were pulling out a combined forty billion dollars in assets at one time, and you talked about like, well, how do you do that? Well, it's wire transfers. It's mm. technically, you know, banking is twenty four seven now. Um, you know, you and we all know this in our own lives where we can like send, you know, uh, you know, friends like twenty bucks for our portion of, you know, splitting the check at dinner uh, mm-hmm. on our, our our phone apps. But I mean, the, the principle's more or less the same. And when you're talking about in the billion of do- billions of dollars range, it's wire transfers and and in these sorts of things. Just call your bank, set it up, and away you go. One billion a billion dollars moves from one place on the map to another place, and you know that's it's just that simple. So like a run on the bank these days, it's not like well we have to wait until Monday morning so we can go right down and talk to the <laughs> bank manager. So it it almost makes these these things um seem even more cataclysmic um and more immediate because you know a bunch of people can try and withdraw 40 billion dollars at once and that's gonna you know whether that was an emer whether it was a genuine emergency or just because people were talking you know that that's gonna have an instantaneous effect on the market and not and uh, you know it's easy to talk about like the venture capitalists the vcs and all these guys but uh, I was watching the news last night, and they're talking about um, this one business, Fry the Coop, which is a uh, fried chicken chain that a uh, small fried chicken chain that started in the Chicago area. They have eight stores, 
And their payroll was at stake, not because of them, not because they banked with SVB, but because the payroll company they used, which was based in Ohio, I believe, was banked with SVB. So when you you know, you know look at these things, it's easy to, to sort of laugh and snark at the, you know, the Peter Thiels of the world. And uh, believe me, I have. But, um, <laughs> you know, we're also talking about people who are making payroll to their, you know, staff of largely minimum wage workers um who you know might be out payroll because you know some jerks in silicon valley you know ran on the bank to pull out their billion dollars all of a sudden thursday night so you know these things are not harmless to people we would consider you know our contemporaries yeah the chain reaction mm-hmm. and and that's the problem it just this is real trickle down yeah. kind of because yeah. that there's probably people that got caught up in this that had no idea that it would affect them, right? As you said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just displacement. But if the you know the billionaires will, they're usually fine. But yeah, it's, just speaking of chain reaction, so Moody's, who are the people that do you know renowned evaluations of these things, mm-hmm. downgraded. I think it was Signature was downgraded to junk, so they're mm-hmm. done, and they're reviewing six other banks. Mm-hmm. So when that kind of thing happens, if you're already teetering, then you're probably going to go. They didn't name them. I'm sure there's a list of there's a list of names somewhere, and there's <laughs> there are people sweating all over the all over America, and it's it's spreading all over the world because we saw the Euro banking index lost how much over the course of the week? 127 billion dollars. It's just gone mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. people are spooked. Yeah, and an offshoot of that was t- well, it's Wednesday today. We're recording Credit Suisse. This Credit morning, Swiss. with the announcement, yeah. which again will make people nervous as well. Credit a, a Swiss bank used to be, let's call it the gold standard, which is what they used to base the yeah you know the yeah. cash system on, right? <laughs> it was you know, literally it's, the gold standard. Yeah, makes making people long for the days of the briefcase with the handcuff and put that on the <laughs> desk, right? <laughs> All gone, as he says, wire transfers. So th- they're teetering as well. There's been moves made to shore up confidence by I think the Swiss government got involved. Mm-hmm. Much the same as the American government got involved, the U.S. government got involved with SVB, and they're they they're immediately saying, "Okay, don't worry, even if even though you're, you're uninsured, like the the limit is higher in the states, right? It's two hundred fifty. And Canada's a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, you, you if you're uninsured, it's okay, and well, it's not okay, but you're covered. Mm-hmm. In the states, it's higher. It's two fifty, and they're like, "Don't worry, it's okay. We will we will we will back this." Which, which always, because it, and I've heard this said, I've said it too. It's like there's always money for a bank, right? There's always money for cops. There's always money for guns. The bank collapses. We'll be there for you, as we saw in 2008. Mm-hmm. What was that? The, the Obama bit was it 700 billion? Like it's, mm-hmm. it just appears. The money just appears mm-hmm. as it's disappearing from these people. It just magically appears. Like we will cover you. HSBC bought. Um, SVC's UK operations for one pound, mm-hmm. one pound sterling for a whole bank. So they picked up a deal, right? But with that, they have to back everything. Yeah. Try and read. They'll probably rename it. Of course, <laughs> you can't keep the name after a collapse like that. <laughs> it's, it's important to know this is not kind of like similar to what happened in 2008. And, you know, uh, the same thing too, is like the reason why you want these like smaller, um, I mean, $200 billion was the total assets in SVP, so it doesn't sound small, but um, 
you know, smaller, you, the reason why you want smaller banks, relatively speaking, is so that you're not concentrating all the money in like four big banks and then have this too big to fail um, aesthetic. So like, theoretically, you kind of want more of these little banks, um, little being relative again, but it's it's kind of it's it's really i mean i understand why it's really hard to sort of look compassionately on banks after everything but um i mean it it this the situation the situation is kind of the same because it's all kind of like mucking with real estate but it's it's also wildly different as well but this is not the end of this story and we will have to put up our to be continued title card and move on to uh canada stuff which is uh, also kind of business related. Uh, the federal government is reviewing legislation while the Senate is uh, already passed by the House that will essentially force big social media companies, uh, Meta, which is owned by uh, which owns Facebook and Alphabet, which owns Google, and make them enter into uh, agreements with uh, Canadian news outlets. To uh, I guess essentially profit share. Uh, the justification being that Facebook and Google have ripped the ad dollars out from the uh, media's almost literally cold dead hands hmm. in the last ten years, and Meta and Alphabet have both promised that uh, there will be consequences. Meta is saying that you know maybe you won't be allowed to, won't be able to see Canadian news posts on Facebook anymore, and Google is currently experimenting with blacking out news links as well. 4% of Canadians are affected by that. They're just doing a test though. It's not a threat, but anyway, uh, Scotty, you're, you're very, you're a very online person. What are your concerns? <laughs> I'm just throwing shade at Scotty. Today right over this. <laughs> this reminds me of the torture scene in any movie where they're just kind of turning the dial up a little bit. When they say face or Google was, we're throttling back on four percent of users, so some people may have noticed mm. some problems with their feed. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're like me, Adam, but having been around the internet for a long time, I still put in URLs. I don't use Google to search news, mm. but I'm what is considered old school. The majority <laughs> of people, however, it's it's Google, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, like direct. Yeah. I do lean on Twitter a little bit, but Twitter, as we know lately, has been a bit messed up for those. So it used to be the greatest, not the greatest. It was a good news feed. Yeah. And if it's once the tweaking began, hello, Elon, uh, that was that was the beginning of the end of that, as far as I'm concerned, of it being a useful device for me. Mm. But but it's it's because we do news and we concentrate on news, whereas people who are just consuming it, it's a little it's a lot different, actually, mm-hmm. because you're just taking what's given via Google, you might Google a topic or, or something is up rather than having it thrown at you as what's what's trending. And as we know, Twitter trending is, is all over the place now. But yeah, so some users are going to be unhappy maybe for the next few days or something. You know, I would say most of them might not even notice. Now, a similar situation happened in Australia when Australia put down rules like this. They're like, we need to try and keep our Australian media alive particularly yeah. smaller players and the the big boys pulled the same thing mm-hmm. let's see who blinks first so part of it to do with media is that the dollars are, as we know the dollars are disappearing 
Mm-hmm. Like we work on no dollars, so we're a little different. But... <laughs> we work on no dollars. We're fine. <laughs> the Australian number in terms of advertising money was for every hundred Australian dollars of advertising, forty nine went to Google and twenty four went to Facebook. Mm-hmm. So that pool is getting lower. There are no advertisers really for uh, classic media, mainstream media, other media, even smaller outlets. It's just, it's just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So Australia and Canada now is saying, okay, you need to pay your fair share. Now the Australian situation, there was a bit of a, they, Facebook and the Australian government had a sit down and came up with an agreement, mm-hmm. but what a way to do it though. I mean, here are these corporations saying, okay, well, if you're going to pass this law, we're just going to tinker with this until you cave or talk to us. Mm-hmm. Effectively changing the law. So you don't even have to, there's no lobbying. There's no, I'm sure there's lobbying going on. Yeah. It seems a bit dark because I'm comparing it to the torture scene in the movie mm-hmm. because there's this is there's an insidious element to it where it's like, well, we, you know, we, we just, we just republish content where we don't decide what people republish. Right. If it's from your media website, we don't, you know, it, it just kind of happens. Uh, and that's, that's not, I mean, they, these places don't have news divisions or anything. Right? In fact, they're laying people off as you yeah. said you know, off the top there. It's like, there is, there's no, there's no room for any of that. And usually it's Facebook people in was 10,000. Yeah. I was and gonna say it's 11,000, right? This is like yeah. you know, 11,000 people, not dollars. So they, you know, they don't care. And it's usually the people in content moderation that go first. <laughs> oh, 100%. So that with Twitter too, right? It just, it just yeah. went, oh my, what, what happened? Well, after the HR department <laughs> at Twitter. <laughs> didn't seem to exist. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, and, and for people who think, well, they can't like, they're you know they're cutting off their news despite their face well not really i mean in the case of facebook when you look at like the most popular posts um they're from sites and pages that are tangentially connected to the news like they're people like ben shapiro and dan <sighs> bongino but it's not like the new york times or the washington post or cnn like well, you have to go way way down the list of popular posts to find links to those sites um, and that's American media. Uh, Google's a bit different because, you know, you hear about something like, you know, to use a Guelph example, you know, finding human remains under the Baker Street parking lot or something. You know, you might you may have heard that um, it's not necessarily breaking news, so you won't find it on the front page of the Today or the Tribune or whatever. So what do you do? You Google it. So, you know, there, there's there is these these tools um have become part of sort of like everyday life and i, I think it, it's an analogous situation to the paywalls you know for 20 years like an entire generation of people were just used to like looking up newspaper headlines from anywhere in the world and just being able to access that content free no worries and that's why people have sort of like had a violent reaction to paywalls it's just um <laughs> even if even if it's just not even a paywall at all like if it's just like please register for a website and people are like forget what you're with your paywall um <laughs> you know people just have that violent reaction because it was free and easy to access for so long and the question is who does the consumer blame if threats are carried out do they blame facebook and google or do they blame jt and the liberals i think that's going to be a very interesting question and i i I can't imagine um it's it's going to be good for anyone because essentially everybody hates the government and these big massive social media companies but Mm -hmm. it's at the end of the day the the biggest question of all is like is any of this going to help is any of this going to help like 
people like me. Um, and I know it won't. Like I'm no. not gonna I'm not gonna see any of this Google money. Um, and again, it, it's speaking just for myself. What would help me a lot are things like, can I just like make Wealth Politico a nonprofit and just like give out charitable receipts? That would probably help me out a lot. That would help me out a lot more than putting a gun to Facebook's head and demanding money. Um, but that's again, this isn't supposed to help me as a as a small like local news startup. It's it's meant to help post media and you know Bell Media and, and all these big companies, and it may end up you know kind of screwing us all in the end because where do I post my links? Facebook, Twitter, Google. So mm-hmm. it's not and the show and everything too. Yeah, yeah. but that's it, the point you made there about non non profit enough profit is, is important. And a friend of the show, Nor Loretto, made the same point. There's a, a little clip going around of her uh, speaking to and he's agents in Middle East somewhere talking about talking about this exact topic mm-hmm. what's going on in canada with this and she had said what what's what's needed is a non-profit solution yeah or yeah. a non-profit solution of some kind like you said it's like can people get some kind of deduction to get news i think the there's some fear in that is that everyone will just i mean everybody is set up as a news agency anyway they say they are right mm-hmm. everybody from rebel news us you know it's just like everybody's everybody's a journalist everybody's a reporter now which isn't that's not necessarily healthy but we have a massive news agency, or at least they started off that way in Canada, CBC. known as the CBC. Yeah. Yep. And Polyam and Company are really annoying when they keep hammering on the CBC. Yeah. Because it's it's necessary. It's a very necessary thing. Does it need work? Could it do with some adjustments? Absolutely. No, mm-hmm. no one would dispute that. I'm sure there's lots of people at the CBC that don't dispute that because yeah. it just keeps getting fed. He's using it for He's trying to make this point for propaganda purposes, mm-hmm. but it should be the perfect vehicle to deliver exactly what we're talking about here. And they try, you know, they have their social media websites and they're, they're getting into podcasting and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you get the eyes on their pages? Do you get the ears on the radio? And hopefully you're, you know, those that are listening have their ears to this radio, mm-hmm. but what we do is different, but yet it's in, in a lot of ways, it's similar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We do it on fumes and they do with two billion, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, this, this is the great question. It's like, do they just, I guess they're going to have to just take this from Google and Facebook because they have this, this amount of control. But what fills the void? What fills the gap? You say people go on to paywalls and we've, we all do it. If I, if I want to look at the news from somewhere else, let's say a local paper in the UK, which I've done. Uh, and it's like, I just want to know this one story. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that you're this local paper. There's no way I'm going to subscribe to you. That's yeah. Bless you, but I just I just want to know this one thing. Mm-hmm. So there also has to be a bit of a provision for that, and some do it. Like some place you go and they'll like, okay, here's two stories. You can read three things, and we're going to shut you down. Mm-hmm. There's also ways around that too, but yes. But yeah, the that's the the, the great burning question is where. Where is the news going to come from? Because this isn't going to get any better. No. Yeah. I mean, that's a, unfortunately a question we don't have time to answer. Not that we could answer it all with all the, the full hour, but uh, where is the news going to come from? Uh, I think us. That, uh, <laughs> us. Us. No paywall here. Coming from uh, us. Well, that's going to make it pretty hard to post on <laughs> what's coming up on the show on social media. Anyway, we'll leave that there and uh, we'll, we'll stew on that. This will probably come up in the future news. 
Anyway, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with Dr. Nicola Mercer. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Nico Case from her 2009 album Middle Cyclone. That song is called People Got a Lot of Nerve. <laughs> and that goes out to in memory of Kiska, the Marine Land killer whale who had a pretty horrible life and worse towards the end, died at 46 this past week. Mm-hmm. And not everybody loves Marine Land. Mm-hmm. The sooner that place dies, in my opinion, the better. But on that note, <laughs> <laughs> a topic once again for another day oh it might be who knows what's it's been in the kind of the back of my head just like the the slow atrophying of marine land this thing this once proud niagara falls institution killed by a documentary and <laughs> oh, <it deserved laughs> 10 it. years yeah it's crazy anyway um that is a topic for another day today's topic is COVID 19 happy anniversary it's been three years since uh we went into lockdown and we thought we would mark the occasion by talking to our local medical officer of health dr nicola mercer sort of uh famous well i should say sort of definitely famous one of the first um medical health administrators in canada to recommend universal masking um when after the first wave of of the pandemic so uh she has that going for we thought we'd ask her about the current covid situation um risk assessments how do you determine your risk who's most at risk what should you do if um you know, you're one of the 75% of people in Guelph who are not up to date on your vaccinations and uh, just general stuff about the immediate future of, of COVID-19 in our community. And I think and I hope you'll find it informative. So we're going to hit play on our interview with Dr. Nicola Mercer starting right now. Okay, Dr. Nicola Mercer, thank you so much for hopping on with me today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Um. I like to try and define things and and use words and and to, to try and explain the world to people. So I, I'll I'll start here using your expertise and, and and your experience. About what phase of the pandemic are we in now? Are we endemic now? Is COVID like officially endemic? Um, I th- I think it's that's correct. I I would say that. Maybe another word is boring. We're in the boring phase where people have lost interest. Mm. Um, and, and that's actually probably normal, right? Mm. I mean, we've just done this for so long. It is very hard to stay sort of really engaged. And I, I certainly don't want people to worry the way we did years ago. I, I don't think that is is something I think for many of our elderly population, though, and I think for those who are particularly over the age of 70, those who might be over the age of 80, uh, this is actually um, a much bigger deal for them because it actually does 
and, and could impact them. If we look at uh, who is ending up in our hospitals, and believe me, people are still in hospitals for COVID. It was the number one reason to be in a hospital for a respiratory illness this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and our numbers have been really consistent, like 12 months of the year they're consistent, which is a bit unusual. Normally we have influenza and it normally comes you know, around October and it's usually gone uh, by April, somewhere in there. And people get hospitalized, usually the sick, the elderly. We've, we've all heard the long-term care homes and probably know of somebody who's passed away from the flu. But COVID has kind of taken the place of the flu, but it's much more serious than the flu. Mm. So for the elderly, um, most of the deaths now are, are occurring in uh, those who are older. Even if you're community living, even if you're in pretty good shape. So for those who are seniors or you have medical problems, like I think that was another thing to say. You're, you live with an individual who's you know, severely immunocompromised or elderly then maybe you should take this seriously mm-hmm. and just keep up to date with your boosters and just be perhaps a little bit more mindful about, you know, your your workplace, your social life, and uh, also making sure that, you know, those behaviors that we know really do work, uh, you know, staying away from crowded indoor environments, especially if people are sick. Like the number one place that we used to see was <laughs> bars. Okay, so parties and bars. You know, we those are perfect examples of places to spread COVID. And I know they're fun and I know people are still going to go. But uh, maybe if you're an elderly senior, don't go to one of those raves. It's probably counterintuitive if you're not going to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you live with somebody who's severely immunocompromised, that might not be the best place for you. What you're saying is like we're we're kind of in a phase now where we have to look at at risk communities. Not that the community's at risk, but there are at risk communities. So if you know someone in your life who may be susceptible, who is a senior, um, who is immunocompromised, who has potential comorbidities, can't be vaccinated for medical reasons. If you have someone like that in your life, you should be especially cautious. Or if you fit one of those categories yourself. Yeah, and, and I think the hard part for people to get their heads around is that it's a forever thing now. Like, I don't see this as something that we're, I'm going to be able to announce, yay, everybody is gone. You know, we can all go back to what life was like pre-March of 2020. I think we don't like to go there. <laughs> I think we just have to accept it's a little bit different. And some parts of the differences of how we live our lives have been quite dramatic, all the online stuff that we do now without thinking, uh, which has changed our workplaces and our businesses forever. And some things are maybe not ideal. Thinking about, for especially for seniors, it's just another thing that you that they have to uh, uh, get a shot for um, at least once a year. That leads me to something in particular. You said at the Board of Health meeting this month that cases in the region are steady. And, and I heard Dr. Teresa Tam essentially use the that same word. I don't know if she's reading off your homework, but um, <laughs> is is that the best we can do now is keeping things steady? Like, is that, I mean, I, I realized that COVID zero was probably an impractical goal to begin with, but steady COVID is the baseline now. I think what you saw in the world um, at the start and people forget how worried we were. I mean, I think people like, oh, why did we have to go into lockdown you know it wasn't that bad well it wasn't that bad once we got 98 percent of people vaccinated who could be vaccinated 
so when it went through countries that didn't have vaccines, Italy, for example, it was really bad. It was devastating. People died from it. So we we forget what the pre-vaccine era was like. Mm. So now we're in the post-vaccine era, and a lot of people have had it too. I mean, I suspect you can just think about all your friends and family, and if you're your listeners, a lot of people have had this. So having vaccines and having natural immunity are all giving us a, a good baseline, and a lot of our younger adults in particular have had it, sometimes more than once, and <laughs> uh, that has resulted in a you know, pretty good amount of immunity, but it's not permanent immunity Mm, and mm -hmm. so what is happening is it's just kind of there grumbling along and if you think about this talk about the common cold well we've never been able to get rid of that i think most people recognize as like you know even if it's not maybe every year you have a really bad cold but a lot of people get a really bad cold at least once a year or yeah sometimes more often uh we're in a situation where covid which is actually a coronavirus just like the common cold, which is a coronavirus. Right. This is a little bit different family and lineage, but it is a coronavirus. It's now part of our sort of our, our society. It's part of what we have to live with. So to think if you want to have a life, a normal life, and do the things that we all want to do, that you will never get COVID is probably unlikely. You can do a lot. Mm-hmm. You can avoid having it, and you should you know, you should be able to avoid having it frequently. You should be able to avoid uh, having it um, sort of in those environments where you know it is most likely. But one of these days, you let your guard down, you know, your grandchild comes to visit, um, you go to, a, uh, you know, a symphony, you go out for dinner with friends, and that's all it would take. Right. And, I mean, this gets into the kind of, cultural stuff but i i do see that online a lot people who are like i've it's been three years and i finally got it it's like you know coronavirus hunted this person (laughs) down and made the kill and i mean (laughs) it's it's that seems kind of impractical to to hold on to that expectation that you will you will escape um coronavirus well i think unless you're living like a hermit and and (laughs) there actually are people still in our society who are really still quite fearful yeah, And I think for them, you know, if I could speak to them, I would say, you know, do what you can. So make sure you're up to date with all your vaccines, follow those behaviors. If you're nervous, wear a mask out in public. But, you know, social isolation is not good mentally. It's not good for that social cohesion, especially not good for seniors to be isolated away all the time. So we, we have to sort of balance that risk versus benefit and i can tell you that our, our young people our youth they did that years ago right from the very beginning they were like yeah it's not worth it to me to to be isolated I, i'm choosing to, you know to go out and live my life and i'll take the chances with covid they made that decision based on a risk benefit because they could see that for the most part younger people were not getting seriously ill for the most part some mm. uh, but especially post-vaccine era most of them were doing quite fine that's a risk-benefit analysis, and every person has to make that. Mm. But for those who are still isolating, I think the time is to, to reevaluate because it's not going to be a place where it's going to be gone forever. So you you have to say to yourself, is this the way you want to live your life forever? 
or are you willing to add a little bit more risk into your life to actually have more quality of life, more social interactions? And I can't make that decision for individuals. Right. Uh, but I, I think that it, we're at a place now where people need to think about that. Symptomatically speaking, um, I, I know there's a lot of things in common with each strain of COVID, the cough, the the weariness, um, the the soreness and, and things like that. Is, is a lot of that still the same? Like if, if someone catches COVID or is that's is maybe this has always been the case, too. Um, is that also going to depend on the state of your health and your age and, and other factors like that? Age seems to be a, a really big driving factor, as it often is with a lot of uh, illnesses. But in, in this particular one, age is, is very significant for uh, mortality and poor outcomes and hospitalizations. Not saying that we haven't seen and have had young people and young adults and children uh, die from COVID. But similar to influenza, we do know that influenza also uh, can be very serious for some children, babies, and some adults. But for most people, it's a, you, know, you can get pretty sick from it. You might be in bed for five days, seven days. Um, so some people can get very sick, but for the most part, if for younger adults who are otherwise healthy, it doesn't hospitalize them. And similar to COVID, COVID, the symptoms are, are, are varied. You're right. Some people have almost no symptoms mm-hmm. or they'll have a very odd symptom. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. He said, I've lost my sense of taste. Mm. Um, I don't think, though, that we should underestimate, though, that there is still this what I call we call long COVID or you, I, I'm not sure what your listeners are, but basically the, the longer term consequences of having a COVID infection, they're still being understood or still gathering data, but they are real. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, but not everyone gets it. And so that is, you know, I, I can't predict. So for people who are even younger people or say, I don't care, I'll just get COVID. You, you might do fine, but some, young people do suffer with the you know, post-COVID syndrome uh, or long COVID. And so some of them do have it. And so there's still lots that we don't know. And I'm not in a place where I can tell individuals how you value your that risk and benefit right. equation. I think everybody has to put, put the scales on and, and decide what you're willing to uh, accept. But the one thing that we do all have to accept is that it's it's here, it's not going away. Uh, we tried that back during the pandemic to see if we could get it to go away, but it's not. And therefore, we have to understand what this means for us individually living in a society where you can and likely will get COVID at some point. Is there, and I, I, I hear what you're saying about a lot of unanswered questions about long COVID, which I think is sort of the accepted term we use for for that condition um do we have any indication of who like is most susceptible for long covid it, that's just a big question mark yeah it seems to be a big question mark on it you'll have to hear doctors call it post-covid syndrome and um and it depended on which strain of the virus you got too right so we do know that some strains seem to have less uh long covid as you call it symptoms than other strains um and we also know we perhaps females more than males. Mm. Uh, We do think, though, that, and I would encourage anybody who does get COVID uh, to 
to really take it seriously and to allow yourself time to recover, especially mm. if you're somebody who's a very busy person or you're somebody who's, you know, a runner and you're out there doing uh, all kinds of physical activity, really be mindful of the fact that, especially for those, uh, that if you stress your body too early in the recovery stage, that seems to be one of the, the risk factors for people developing post-COVID syndrome is that sort of early return to work and early return to their full range of normal activities of daily living. Whereas we want people to allow their bodies to recover and to ease into it slowly to reduce the risk. It sounds a bit analogous, and you can tell me if I'm off, but you know, to people who get the cold and the flu and then that accelerates into pneumonia. Well, you, certainly you can get COVID pneumonia too. So these are all respiratory illnesses, right? So yeah. you're right. That's why we, that's what we say. Stay home if you're sick. None of this, oh, toughing it out, going to the office with, you know, a fever and you know, a cough and runny nose. Like, no, no, that's not good. We don't want that. You're just spreading your germs to other people who could get uh, really sick. And I get it. That's for some families. They don't have a lot of options. They don't have sick benefits, for example. Right. If their child is sick and it stays home, well, maybe mom or dad can't go to work. It is not a simple thing to say to people, stay home when you're sick. It is much more uh, complex than that because yeah, it's great if you've got a job um, where that allows you to work from home or whether you can take sick time, but not everybody does have that. And that probably sounds really irritating to people yeah. who, yeah, I would stay home if I was sick, if I could. <laughs> yeah. But I have to make a choice of paying the rent or putting food on the table. Uh, you know, so so I guess I have to be just a bit sensitive about that. But the very least, very, very least, please try to stay home when you're sick, please. Yeah. Um, wear a mask if you must go out to, you know, get essentials. Uh, you know, keep your distance from others to avoid spreading spreading your germs to others. If, if anything, it's a reminder that, you know, some of the policies that came out of COVID are still useful in a pre-post-COVID world or uh, ongoing COVID world, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm going to phrase this uh, according to my experience. So um, I got my last booster in, either at the end of September or the beginning of October. It was the bivalent booster. I had three shots before that. Um, I've had COVID around this time last year, actually. Um, so in terms of like my vulnerability right now to getting the virus again, like, I, I guess what, what should I be looking at in terms of when I get the next boost? Like, am I good till maybe should I wait till fall or should I be looking about get, getting the top up right now? So, um, yeah, these are great questions. I'm sure a lot of people are, are listening. So, um, this is still still a bit evolving, but NACI, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, as well as uh, our, our ministry, are making sort of uh, advice on this topic. So if you are elderly, if you have multiple medical problems and you're you know, really severely, moderately or severely immunocompromised, or if you are elderly, so you're over the age of 80, then we are recommending that for that age group to get the booster at the six-month mark. Mm-hmm. There's lots of evidence, though, that for others that don't fall in those categories, that if you can stretch out the time between when you get your boosters, um, that it there is some benefit. And I don't mean stretching it out for years and years. I just mean stretching it out for months. So I think we will be looking at a future where we will be encouraging everyone 
once a year in the fall to get a flu and a COVID shot. And they might be in the same shot and needle in the, at some point in the future. I don't think for this fall, but it, I, I'm confident that it will be in the same vaccine at some point. But for the average person, you want to do all those things that, you know, keep yourself healthy, you know, kind of, I don't you know, eat right, exercise, or maybe you don't. But but if that there's one simple uh, activity is to seek out in the fall a flu and COVID shot. And they'll be at the same place at the same time. The pharmacies will be offering them, your primary care office, public health. They'll be available. They'll be free. And hopefully, just just sort of put it into your life. Don't make it, you know, difficult for yourself. But when you're buying your your groceries or your shampoo, go and get <laughs> your shots. And it is possible that uh, I'm going to call it the flu vid shot of the future. We're going to have flu and COVID together. So we're going to have a single dose fluvid shot. And anyways, we're just trying to try and remind people that it will be probably an annual thing. And hey, if we could all get a, something that would keep us from getting that cold, that we all seem to get, probably a lot of people would want to have it. And while we do have something that's going to, even if you get sick, would make it a lot much more pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where we're going. And, and we'll, you'll, definitely be here more about more about that but for you right okay. now adam um i would say that you don't have to worry about the shot right now but put it on your agenda for about october of this year okay fair enough um i'm looking at our time so um i do want to get to a couple of different matters of public health concern and number one is people may have seen the press release put out by public health last week about whooping cough in the area yeah. and uh this seems to be and again correct me if i'm wrong about any of this this seems to be um, a particular issue if you're a child and if you're an unvaccinated child. Is is that fair to say? Um, yes. So, okay, just a few points. So, so whooping cough is something that you can get more than once. So a lot of diseases, mm. you can only get them once. You get measles once, you're done for life. But, but Or we give you a vaccine and you're good for life. Unfortunately, with whooping cough, it is something that even if you are unfortunate and you're older and you had it as a child, you could many years later get it again. And so it's a vaccine that we have to give. It's part of the childhood vaccine schedule. So you have multiple doses as a, as a child, two, four, six months, we boost you again. At 18 months, we boost you again as you're, before you enter school. And then as you enter adulthood, there is a booster dose for adults as well. So it's basically when you get your tetanus shot, there is a tetanus shot where they've added a dose of whooping cough vaccine in with it. So it's just a single needle when you get your, your tetanus shot. But with the pandemic, a lot of people's schedules got sort of all turned around. Mm -hmm. So their children maybe missed one of their the vaccines. Maybe you didn't have the opportunity or didn't get your child vaccinated when they started school. Lots of adults can't remember when was the last time they had a tetanus dose unless they had a or an emergency apartment recently. So lots of adults would also benefit. Mm -hmm. But who is most at risk? We know that newborns, absolutely newborns, this is if you, you can probably Google it, you can see pictures of infants coughing. It is a really, really severe disease for an infant. It is a bad disease for a young child, like a really distressing disease for a young child. And as an adult, you can also get really sick. Nobody would want to get whooping cough. Like it is not nice and it can last for weeks 
like sometimes eight weeks of coughing. That's a very long time to be this really, really bad cough. So for newborns, we can't vaccinate them. So the, the thing about newborns is that they can't be protected. And the, the mom being vaccinated doesn't help for breast, like breastfeeding doesn't transfer enough protection to the infant. But what the mom can do if she's pregnant is the mom can get vaccinated. And mm. then the mom gives the antibodies to the baby. So, and then of course we would want the dad or any other children in the home to be all vaccinated to protect the newborn. And it's also a really good idea. Your kids are missing vaccines. If they're missing whooping cough, well, maybe they're also missing tetanus or measles or any of these other important vaccines. And as we know, a lot of people are away right now. They're probably in Disney World or <laughs> Airbnb or, or skiing or any other number of holidays because it is the, uh, the March break. So people are moving around the world. And when mm. you have people that move around the world, you can come in contact with people who have these vaccine preventable diseases and bring them back with you. I guess maybe one of the lessons here then is, you know, if you're relatively young, relatively healthy, you're up to date on your vaccines, you know, you probably can wait till the fall, as, as you said, to, to get your next boost. Should we maybe be thinking about using this the next few months then to catch up on other concerns of health? Is that is that good advice if people are looking for ways to stay healthy? Well, and, and we all know that it can be hard to get into primary care. Mm. Um, but if you haven't you know, had an appointment in a very long time, you have a concern, you haven't had what, especially if you're sort of middle-aged or older, there's a lot of what I call uh, primary care uh, things that you can do to help yourself. So whether you haven't had your colon cancer screening, you haven't had your mammography, maybe uh, you're going in to see about something else. Just make sure you're up to date with your vaccines. But in particular, check that your children, your young adults that are in high school, and even those that are in uh, university, just make sure that they're staying up to date with their vaccines, because it's easy to miss one. And it's really easy actually to get caught up is just to visit your healthcare provider, and they can figure out what you need and just make sure you're caught up because we really don't want to spread things that are preventable. We have enough other things to worry about without uh, worrying about some of these old diseases that cause significant concerns. I mean, we have Israel with some polio cases, for example, mm. in the north. So, you know, these, there are countries in the world where diseases circulate. And if you are unvaccinated, you would be very wise to avoid uh, those countries because these are not nice diseases, some of them that we take for granted because we just protect people from them uh, right. from, with their childhood vaccines. Well, this has been a very substantial dose of vitamin K, K for knowledge. But uh, <laughs> Dr. Nicola Mercer, we appreciate your time and, and joining us to uh, to mark uh, to mark this occasion. And uh, thanks so much. Oh, thank you for having me again, Adam. Okay, so that was our uh, interview with Dr. Nicola Mercer. And uh, COVID, we're, we're in a steady state of COVID, which I know freaks Scotty the hell out. Yeah, this is a reminder. I got to go get boosted, but I don't get out of the bunker too much these days. So, But with the spring. <laughs> yeah, this spring is coming. Mm -hmm. So hopefully it gets, well, I was going to say less steady, but that doesn't make sense. Anyway, or or steadier to a smaller degree. There we go. Nailed it. Last word. Okay, here we go. A low degree too. Yeah. <laughs> low to none would be awesome. 
Low to none would be awesome. Uh, Get on that, Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll start. I'll start cleaning up the town of COVID right now. Uh, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesquelph.com. You can find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to the show again, you can download it from our website every Monday through the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or on your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter, and Mastodon. And if you're listening to us at our regular time on the FM, stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. Yes, indeed. That's one of the many great programs that you will hear on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for our great program, we'll be back here next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources. And we will see you then.